the day one community, the day Very one clubhouse community. Janelle is on the pod today, and Janelle has made many appearances on the podcast throughout the years. Oh my God, the years. Did you just say that? <laughs> Literally, it will be two years at the end of October that we've had this podcast. Wow, that's insane. Time's not real. Time, time is crazy. Yeah. Janelle is our wonderful community leader. Also, you make so much content. You wear so many hats. I do wear a lot. So we're lucky to have you on the pod. And today we are speaking with Kim, Sarah, who you introduced me to. Kim. Gotta love her. Via the internet. Yes, via, via the internet. I, I had been stalking Kim for a little while. I, I didn't actually know her. <laughs> And Wallace actually made the introduction and scheduled Kim to be on the podcast. And I got to have a conversation with her. I got to fangirl out a little bit, which is a lot of fun. It's a great conversation. And in line with what we're talking about this month being seen, Kim really has gone through a journey of being seen in so many different ways online and in her professional life. And she is a movement healer, breath work and joy coach, as well as a community care activist. And we talk about so many things throughout this interview. It's so good. And she gets very vulnerable. She she actually shared things and like self-realizations that I was kind of surprised that she actually shared. And her own sense of, again, self-awareness was astounding to me because I've definitely felt a lot of the things that she describes feeling in this podcast. Yeah, we really get into it. We talk about psychedelic healing. We talk about activism. Yeah, we talk about sacred rage and like what it is to be a woman of color in majority white spaces and holding that sacred rage. And we talk about self-ownership and keeping having responsibility for yourself and your own emotions and the, the balance between holding that rage and living a life that feels good to you. We, were, I mean, listen. <laughs> this is this one's not for the for the faint of heart. <laughs> yeah, she really demonstrates her fiery side, which I love because you see that come through in her content online a little bit. But I feel like we got really we got to peek behind the curtain of Kim Sarah. Hell yeah, yeah! I learned that Kim Sarah would definitely be somebody I would have in my corner, in a back alley any day. <laughs> I'm calling Kim. Kim is my friend. <laughs> Absolutely. I think whether you are a person of color in a lot of predominantly white spaces, or if you're a white person who is in a lot of these predominantly white spaces, you should listen to this. And also, if you're dealing with sacred rage and anger and figuring out how you want to show up online and be seen. We talk about all of this. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I just want to note heavy emphasis on those who are maybe white people who are looking to include, be more inclusive and create more diversity in their programming. Kim gives a lot of really incredible tidbits on how you can go about doing that. So yeah, this is for all people. Check it out. Hope you enjoy. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. 
Kim, welcome to the 12th house. We're so excited to have you here to speak with you about somatic healing. And we are talking also about being seen on the podcast this month. And you show up in the world in such a beautiful way for so many different communities, whether it's the Asian American communities or the LGBTQIA communities. So happy to have you here. Thank you so much. It's again, such a huge honor. So thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, we're big fans. We'd love to hear a little bit about your kind of journey to, you know, we create content here at Holisticism, and we have a ton of community members who are content creators of all different kinds. And it's always really fun to hear about our guest journeys to making the stuff that they make and what brought you there. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think my start to making content and showing up more publicly really started maybe 2020, 2021, specifically 2021, really because of the Stop Asian Hate movement. And also there was just a lot happening with Asian American communities at that time. So a lot of my work last year was very much about creating more awareness, more engagement about how we can find more, you know, community-based solutions for Asian Americans. And then I found through just the work itself that at the end of last year, I was so burnt out. I was just so, my nervous system was out of whack. I was very much doing work out of the space of needing to versus wanting to. And so I had to take a break from it and focus on how to fill up my own cup. And I found that, you know, through this practice of filling up my own cup, I didn't really know how to do that because I was never really taught how to do that. And I would talk to so many other Asian Americans in this, you know, activism community space, and they didn't know how either. And I realized that a lot of us were reacting with our bodies and with our minds, with this sort of anger and frustration. And it's very valid and very necessary, but you know, who's filling our cups up, right? And so how can we pour into each other in community? And then that's pretty much what started Authentically You, which is the coaching program I have for Asian American women and femmes, and also somatic healing. I do somatic activated healing method, which was started by Saudi Simone, spiritual teacher. And now I do breath work. So my whole purpose now is to really teach Asian Americans and really teach also myself how to be in the body so that we're coming from this intuitive place and compassionate place rather than reactive place. I think I just wanted to say it's so funny. I was talking a little bit about shadow work yesterday, recording some content for our membership, the North Node. And one of the things that I was referring to in regards to shadow work is like how difficult it can be to kind of get through, right? It took me like quite a few times to get through like our module. But I was saying that it's really important for shadow work and also like past life regression because you are able to really discover some of the things, actually, particularly with past life aggression, discover some of the things that you're bringing into this life that, you know, one, obviously that you can let go of, but also lessons that like you need to continue to learn for yourself. And the reason why that's so valuable, obviously, you know, because you, it, it garners more momentum in your own life as you continue to grow and move forward. But 
you take that back to your community because, you know, we as business people or intuitive business people or creatives, like we don't really do anything for ourselves, right? We always ultimately end up doing it for community. It's just interesting because you started off by saying like you were jumped, you, you know, kind of catapulted into this movement because of what was going on during the, you know, 2020 during the pandemic and a lot of hate toward the Asian American community. And it made sense that you would have to, you know, kind of jump and, and be a part of that charge. But then you got burned out inevitably, right? Like I think to an extent, like we all did, you know, fighting those injustices and you had to think about, okay, well, how do I pour myself up? And then it led you right back to the community. You're like, oh, yes, this is how I do it. I have to figure out how, or I have to figure it out. I don't know. I don't know. So I have to go into community and ask about it and then share what I am learning as I'm learning it with the community. It's just, I, I just think that's so, for me, it just feels really on, on, on par with some of the conversations that I was having yesterday and the things that I was really discovering myself about why it's important to do that work. And maybe not even necessarily why it's important, but why we're called to do that work individually, because we're all ultimately here for each other. I'm curious, when you decided to kind of take a break and take a step back and like really reevaluate how you were feeding yourself and how you can kind of like pull that energy back into you, what were some of the processes or some of the things that came up for you before you realized you had to kind of go back into the community and seek answers there, if anything? Mm, this is so so good and what comes to mind is this instagram account it's a black run instagram account and they're called the nap ministry and i've been yes, following them, them for a minute Whoa, i love so good. them stan. so so much like stan and they literally don't know who i am just like one of their little like people who watch their account and they encourage people to take back and reclaim rest and so, you know, during this time of burnout, I was just really just looking at their content and I realized very quickly, I didn't know what rest was. I was like, what do you mean by rest, you know? And it only goes to show that, you know, especially marginalized communities, right? It's really just this, this a lot, I mean, I can't speak for anyone else but myself, but, you know, I come from this place of it's really never about, it's never been about me. It's always been about, you know, serving other people. And so it was just when I w was watching their account, it was about how do I take back that power for myself? And is it okay to take back that power for myself, right? I had to go through a lot of shame about all of that burnout. And wow, did I make a mistake in having sacred rage? Or like, was I so angry that now people specifically woke white folks think I'm a bitch? Like, you know, it was just a lot of just what does power for me look like? Do I even want power? Because I've seen power systemically, and I don't like the way that's working. It was just, you know, really activating what rest looks like. I was offline for a minute. I took a vacation, my first vacation in years, and I felt so guilty doing it, by the way, mm. so guilty. But that just goes to show that, you know, spiritually, emotionally, right? Even going back to that, I took the somatic activated healing method training and I was out of a hundred people, it was like two or three Asian people in the entire training. Wow. And it just goes to show how very few of us right, are in these spaces. And so going into that, I really just had to physically reset. And all the times where I felt guilty for doing that, 
literally ask myself why. And then so what came up was really, you know, the fact that my ancestors were never able to do that. They were killed for their beliefs. Like I went through the past life thing and it takes a load off. Like it really takes off the load and it makes you realize that it's okay to embody abundance. It's okay to want that for your entire lineage because that's what you're here for. And it's just that constant daily practice of embodiment. Truly. There's so much there. And it sounds like, to your point, it's a daily embodiment and practice that you're working through. And as we're talking about being seen and being more comfortable being seen, whether that means speaking what's true to you, speaking up for yourself and your communities, or even if that means showing up online, how have you worked through some of those things kind of publicly for people who are maybe struggling with like a similar thing, listening or unsure of how to be authentically themselves? Because you really, really embody that so well. It's so inspiring. Like in your content, I feel like you can feel the vibrations coming through the phone when I watch it. Oh my goodness. Can I just want to say I'm receiving that. Thank you so much because I don't know how I look like. <laughs> I just post <laughs> things and I'm like, I don't know how this is. I don't know. I have no idea how this is going to be received. I will say that it's terrifying, especially mm-hmm. because right now I'm stepping. I've been so a lot of a, a huge part of my healing process or whatever you really want to call it, stepping into the healing process was discovering pre-colonial Filipino spirituality. So for context, a lot of Philippines is one of the most Catholic countries because of colonialism. And so we actually have healing and spiritual practices that go way before that. And so discovering that was a huge mind opener for me. And so as I show up on social media, a lot of my content now is very much based in the emotional well-being and spiritual well-being. I face a lot of doubt in that space because I feel like with spiritual content, first of all, it's just, there's a lot out there that's very much like for what I've noticed, like self-centered, very material, very everything for yourself. But what I've learned is that it's really not about you. It's about you and community. It's about lifting the collective consciousness. It's about tending to people who are suffering. What does that look like for you? Opening up compassion in your heart. And so when I stepped into the spiritual spaces, which I'm doing now, it's like this giant shift from hardcore activism to like, what does your heart feel like? You know, it's difficult. I face a lot of imposter syndrome and a lot of just this woo woo mentality that comes in but I actually did an Akashic record reading two weeks ago because I was so in my head about posting and what came up was like well your ancestors were terrorized for their beliefs and they just want to protect you they're just literally wanting to protect you but you don't need that anymore right and so start speaking your truth and sharing your gifts with the world and if people don't resonate lose attachment to it because you know that you're showing up the best way you can. Wow, that's beautiful. Also just a really good reminder of the practicality of the Akashic Records and how you can 
really yeah. utilize them just to be like, yo, what's up with this? You know, <laughs> like, what is this thing that like, I really want to shed but for whatever reason I haven't been able to let go of. And also the, pr- the practice of discerning what is yours versus what doesn't belong to you. You know, it's like, it wasn't necessarily your fear and your, you know, unwillingness to be seen. It was, yeah, like you said, your ancestors just wanting to protect you, projecting that anxiety, you know, onto you, which is a another a reminder of how our ancestors and the, the spiritual beings that we connect with, they once were human. Like, so they have those fears and anxieties and can project that in, in the now as well. You know, I'm just curious, you know, you brought up, which I thought was a really good point you know, the idea that so much of what spirituality that we see, at least I feel like in mainstream is centered around ourselves and like manifesting, like wanting things, right. It's like to, to, to get, you know, it's centered around capitalism, honestly, if we're going to (laughs) be real about it. When you think about though, like the work that it takes, right. The internal work of sort of connecting with spirituality, whatever that means for you individually or for anybody individually, um, it, it, there is a, an, an internal process that happens, right? Even if you're doing that in community, that can also, I think at times, or at least, you know, I've, I've felt this along different points of my spiritual journey, right? That can feel selfish, right? And the idea of being selfish for the purpose of being able to be selfless, right? How do you personally balance that dichotomy or that, because it really isn't a dichotomy when you, when you really are in thinking about it, but I'm curious, like, how would you articulate your experience and the balance of being internal, doing that sort of selfish work versus manifesting or being in spirituality for other reasons, just to have for self the difference? Yeah. Oh, this is so good. And thank you for asking this question. And you mentioned something so beautiful, which was, you know, being selfish so that you can be selfless. Like, oh, that was so good. Yeah. <laughs> so there are two things that came up with that question, which is one that we live in both the absolute and the relative truth, right? The absolute truth is that we're all, you know, before we came into this earth, we all picked the body, like, you know, whatever you want to see it, we have the absolute truth that we're all spirits, we have angels, but we also have the relative truth, which is, you know, the system that we're living in today, right? It's, you know, systemic racism. It's, it's the patriarchy, right? It's the stuff that we're dealing with on this earthly plane, being in these human bodies, right? And it's like, what is that balance? And I think something that comes to mind specifically with what I see a lot on social media, I actually call it, it's not my term, I got it from someone else, but it's called bubblegum spirituality, which Mm -hmm. means like, you know, the things you're seeing online, which is I made a reel about it the other day, which is you don't need to be a white woman with mala beads and tribal clothes to be seen as spiritual and something else, which was like, you know, you don't, you know, manifesting a big car and a million dollars doesn't fix what's inside here. Right. Right. And so on an absolute level, I guess, yeah, that, that can all exist, right? But on a relative level, how can we reduce suffering for all beings? And I think, I think as a person of color in this space, I think just generally what I've noticed is a lot of us do notice these things a lot more. An example that comes to mind is, this is the most far out example of, you know, when white women in spiritual spaces don't 
don't acknowledge racism because they're like, we're all the same. And I'm like, on, on a relative level, we're really not, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's this intersection of just like, you know, absolute versus relative. But I will say this balance between selfish to be selfless is really knowing that if I do not fill my own cup up, the way that I'm going to speak and act to other people will literally come from not compassion, but maybe from comparison, but from feeling like I have to. The way I show up for my community will be like judgment versus compassion, right? So all these other qualities that come up in the, the thinking mind, right? Because the heart doesn't live in the thinking mind. The heart lives in compassion, wisdom, love, and understanding. How do we activate that? We need to feel that for ourselves first. And, you know, practically to practice this for me, I have boundaries. Like I have boundaries like no other with coaching. I don't answer during weekends. And so even with taking myself to the spa, I did that this weekend. Like it felt so, again, I was so guilty. I felt guilty. I felt like I don't deserve it. But because I went, I can show up here on this podcast today being like, oh my God, I felt, I feel so calm. I feel so good. And I can focus more on the gratitude. And I think you really, like you set up a really nice framework. I had to write it down, actually. The idea that if you're not coming from a full cup, right, a place that is really authentic and a, and a place where you can come from, that's, that's light, then when you're trying to have compassion for community, it, it actually comes as judgment. Like, what a good yeah. marker to be like, wait, am I coming from a full cup? Am I having compassion for my community right now? Or like, yeah. am I judging them? You know, like a good, good, good barometer check. It's making me think of how we, we talk about it in the stages of awareness when we're talking to people who might be like interested in joining the North Node, our community and what stage of awareness they might be at. And it reminds me of when you go from problem aware to solution aware, you have to be willing to forgive yourself for things that you did in the past that didn't work to maybe heal you or help you. And it's making me think of that progression through understanding that giving to others can also like if you're doing it from a place of ego, it can look like overgiving. It can look like burning yourself out in the name of, well, I'm doing it for the community. And then you you hit a point where maybe you become resentful because you're so tired. And, mm -hmm. and I love that compassion versus comparison is it's such a good reminder, even when it's like, oh, are we judging our community members because they don't understand that they should join XYZ at XY moment. It's like there's so many different ways of framing it. Another thing that I'm curious about is your kind of, we, we like to talk about meaning-making systems and frameworks all the time and about some of the ones that you learned when you were doing your research into Filipino pre-colonial spirituality that you have maybe adopted or carried into your practice that you're, sharing with people. I'm so fascinated and curious about that. Oh my gosh. So context, background context is there's really not much information that's out there about pre-colonial Filipino spirituality. Mm. Like I had to go digging. And right now there's only three books that I've acquired. It's, it's really sad. Um, uh, but yeah. it's also 
on another level, I feel so special to be able to really want this knowledge because I really do feel like there is a something telling me that this is for me. It just feels like I'm like digging treasure. But I will say that something I found really interesting, which is, you know, it's it's it makes sense in the context of all the other traditions I've been learning. And it's this concept that at the very core of you know, pre-colonial Filipino spirituality is oneness. It's the fact that we're all interconnected, you know, all beings, plants, animals, you know, all living things were interconnected. I forgot the word in Tagalog, but it literally means we're all one, right? And I think this is something that we can say is present in so many different, you know, mystical traditions is like, or even no mystical traditions, you know, there are people who practice and don't follow that, which is okay, because it's all this, 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 this grand, thing of like, we're all one. And so how can we help each other? And I think, you know, um, you mentioned something that I thought was so beautiful, which is serving and knowing when it's coming from the ego. Because what that reminded me of was when I was actually working in activism last year, and all eyes were on me, like, I can't even lie, all eyes, like, so many people were looking at my work, it did come from ego, like some of it, not all of it, but some of it was. And because I was going on interviews and I was saying, well, I'm an activist that immediately placed me in this position of I'm a helper. Like I'm, I help, I'm in this position of leadership. Right. And that really fueled my ego. And it was really difficult coming to terms after burnout and seeing other activists get burned out. And I'm like, this is not, I don't think this is how it's supposed to be. Right. But admitting that to yourself and being honest about it and saying, okay, like I was in it, you know, maybe a little bit of the reason is to be noticed. Right. Because Mm. other, you know, and it could be so many reasons like other, I didn't see Filipino representation, but just coming to terms with all of that is really so important for this healing journey so that we can help other people from the selfless place. That was just something that came up when you said that. And I was like, yeah, Yeah. so resonant. (laughs) Well, you kind of answered one of, we we have a few questions that we love to ask all of our guests because everyone approaches it so differently. And you kind of answered one of those questions in that we love to ask people, what was a moment in life where you thought you were very healthy? You were like, I'm doing the work. I'm on my shit. I'm doing something healthy. And it could be any area of your life. But then you reflect back on it now and you're like, mm, maybe it was a little toxic, maybe. <laughs> which is so funny to look back on because I feel like we always we have a bunch of those, right? Oh, it's not 100%. like just one. <laughs> I'm like, oh, six months ago. Mm. Yeah, I was like, oh, maybe that, that thing I'm doing right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you won't name like it. Your, <laughs> your future self is like yeah. tapping on your shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that. I love that. Okay, to follow that thread, another question we love to ask is, if you could whisper to any past version of yourself, just anything, whisper in their ear, what would you say and when and why? I love that. And so to the first question, it was definitely 2021. Mm. All of it, you know, working in activism that like even me looking back now, I see past Kim with so much compassion and forgiveness and also like 
what the hell was she doing? Like very much cringe, Mm. you know? And I think something that comes up is specifically something that, that I'm still working through is last year, I actually cancel cultured a bunch of white owned companies who were Asian appropriating, like blatant Asian, Asian appropriating a lot of our culture. And I would literally make reels and cancel culture them one by one. And to once to one end, like, yeah, like, you know, they don't, you know, they're Asian. Calling them in. I'm calling them. I was really calling them out. <laughs> like I was really like, yeah, yeah. Really, <laughs> like we say accountability, but I truly cancel culture them like to, yeah. to extinction. I, I, I think they're still going, but it was that sake, their rage, sacred rage, whatever, and not mm-hmm. me being, mm-hmm. not me knowing how to use it. And I think now the way I see situations like that, because they're still going to happen and they're still going to bother me. But Mm-hmm. I think, you know, my heart says punitive justice is just never the answer. Um, restorative mm. justice is always going to be the answer. And the difficult part as a person of color is putting, you know, that same methodology towards white people, right? It's like by me punishing and inflicting punitive justice on you, how is that actually going to create you know, greater solutions, because to be honest with you, they're all, all of their businesses are still intact, right? If anything, Mm -hmm. I probably brought them a little bit of business. And so, you know, that those, those concepts come up and I'm, and I'm trying to integrate that now into my, into work, you know, with communities. Yeah. And to the second thing you said, which was, if I were to whisper to my past self, what would I say? I think what I would say is, being okay with the gray, meaning like, I think all throughout life, for me at least, the only ways I could really feel life is if I was experiencing a high or a low. It had to be one or the other, but it's like, what about that middle gray area? And because my body was always so used to trauma in the household and yelling in the household, and then social media, which takes you to this crazy high, I've associated that gray space to being bad. I would love to tell myself like being in the gray is what it's all about and knowing that the highs and lows will pass, right? And to let it happen. Mm. I feel like all of my past selves just heard that as well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. spoke to us all. So true. It's so true. Being in the gray is where it is. And yes, I mean, the highs and lows will happen. You just got to let it flow. I always think about, and I'm, I'm not going to tell the story because I always butcher, butcher it, but it's like an old wise tale about a, a king who basically flourishes for many, many years and re- like really like buys his own shit and like loves himself and then he loses it all. And like, it's the lowest low. And then he gets it all back again and it keeps going kind of like back and forth. And he comes to learn that lesson basically that you can't get caught up in the highs and lows because those are going to ebb and flow. You you know, it's really like, what is this like neutral space? And like, how do we enjoy that? How do we just like be and enjoy the like presence of being, you know? I'm curious about the work that you do. It's beautiful because, you know, obviously, again, that you, you spoke to being sort of catapulted into this work through the pandemic and everything that was happening. But you know, working for the community and also like being flexible and like evolving your work and evolving what that looks like based on what you're going through isn't always like a really easy thing to do. And I'm curious if there was any point in which you questioned 
what your purpose actually was. And I put purpose in air quotes because I personally believe that like we have a purpose every moment, right? I don't really believe in like one purpose, but I, I think you understand what I mean when I say that. Basically, like how, yeah, how do you keep track or how do you keep on track or know that you're on track for your sacred work? And how do you know when you're off track? And then how do you get yourself back on if you feel like you are off? Yeah. Oh my goodness. This question's so good because I feel like the past month has been that energy of like, why am I here? <laughs> like literally, why am I here? And especially like specifically for my experience coming from um, just literally every day working in activism and for like community spaces where you would just talk to people who were so angry, so traumatized, so just distressed all the time to now realizing the answer is within. And also the answer is community and compassion and rest. And going from that state to another state was so like, like, how does that even work? Like you're about it. Like what came to mind a lot was like, universe, you're about to tell me that rest is the answer and like you know something that comes up is like I've always said like f capitalism and like capitalism isn't serving us but really just like how do you truly embody that like f capitalism Mm. and in your body how does your nervous system get on board with that and I think for me I love I love connecting with people on social media It's just like something I love to do. And I have to remind myself that in this human body, in this human journey, I'm not a title. I'm not a role. I'm not a job. I'm not even, you know, I'm a coach, but like I'm more than that. You know, we're all multidimensional. It's like we always have a purpose, right? Even if that purpose changes, even if we have a multitude of them. And we can only tune into that if we are so radically honest with ourselves, You know, when I made the shift from activism to then mental health to now like spirituality, it's it has been so difficult because a lot of my wanting my change has been based on, well, what is everyone going to think of me? Right. So Mm. like when I made these switches, it's like, oh, is this going to resonate with people? But I had to realize, like, even if it doesn't, that's okay because I'm on this human journey. You're either in with me or you're out. That's it. And embodying that on your day to day, I mean, something that, you know, you even spoke on, which was beautiful, which is shadow work. I do that all the time because if I'm not checking myself, who is going to check me? Like, who is truly going to check me? Who's going to check me, boo? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> that's the little housewife fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> like the tweet that's the tweet it's literally the tweet like who is gonna you know we can talk to each other and say we're gonna be hold people accountable but like Mm. it really is up to that person themselves to know that they want to change right otherwise we're gonna see the same issues being repeated and your accountability buddy is gonna start resenting you because you're they need to cut they have to keep telling you the same thing over and over again yes true So true. Yeah, no, that's completely, I I completely understand that and hear that. And I think it's so good. Thank you for being vulnerable and and sharing that. And I love that you opened this up with, you know, I literally was just asking myself, what am I doing? Because Yeah, because that is like, that's the visionary, right? I think like Wallace, you and Michelle and I were talking about this the other day. 
you know, the sort of the stages. Again, we keep saying the North Node, but the visionary is sort of like the last rung on the ladder of our archetype success path. And we were talking about, well, what happens at the visionary stage? What are the experiences that the, the visionary has? Well, they're on their way back to the journey, to the beginning of the journey, right? Of the seeker. It's the hero's journey, right? It's cyclistic. You keep coming back around to it. And that is that that is where you are like you are the visionary kim you know like you are you have led this way you've built this platform you are showing up like on a consistent basis even when you're just showing up for yourself and that like shines for everybody in the community you've built that and now it's like back into that cycle right and and i'm not trying to project this onto you so please like <laughs> correct me if you're wrong but it is sort of that feeling of like okay well what's next like how do i show up now what does this look like now as i'm evolving like how what 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 is that you know and so that is a question i think that anybody who is endeavoring to journey and, and live to live a life is always going to be asking themselves at some point it'll just look different wherever they are you know so thank you for sharing that because that's a great example. You're a prime example of that. Oh my goodness. I just want to say thank you so much for saying that because it really helped me because truly, like, I don't know. Like, even today, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what is happening tomorrow. And so you saying that actually really validated my journey. So thank you so, so much. It's true. Absolutely. And to what you were just saying before that, like liminal space of the gray zone, Mm-hmm. And knowing when you're there. And I think it's like in between the stages on any archetypal journey, there there's all of these gray zones between those highs and lows. And oof, yeah. they are they are hard. Cause you're kind of just like waiting. You're like, is something gonna happen? Am I do right. I have to force something? But no, I don't need to force something. I just need to be. But this is really hard to just be. <laughs> Or I just feel like anytime we're in that gray area and we're not feeling comfortable, for me, it's always a reminder, God, like we have been so wired by society and by capitalism, like on that like capitalism train, you know, Um, we've been so hardwired to like have to be doing something all the time that that is where our value lies. And it's such a lie. It's literally almost the opposite of what it is that we need to be doing, you know? Yeah, it is. It's bizarre. It's bizarre to think about, but that is that. Those are the spaces also where that growth happens because you are kind of having, there's no time to react or respond, right? You're not in a high or a low or an exaggerated or accelerated space. It is just questions and and introspection and, and all of that room to like figure shit out, you know, and, and think honestly. Something else just came to mind too with, with this conversation was like, when we do this work, even on an unconscious energetic level, it spreads to our communities, right? I think something of really big frustration that comes to mind for me, I'm like still working through is being in these spiritual spaces, taking these courses, and oftentimes being the only Asian or literally the only person of color, like period, you know, and my sacred rage comes up and I just get so frustrated because I'll just use this example. I went to a mushroom festival in June and it was very white dominated. It was very like there were very few people of color. I was so angry. I spoke to the founders at the last day and I told them three ways that they can create more inclusivity and accessibility for people of color. And I was, but I was still so angry about it. But then I spoke to other people like black, indigenous, and Asian people of color. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what they said was, 
this is why we need to create our own spaces, right? These are why our spaces are so important and sacred. It's this thought that comes to mind, which is this intersectionality between Mm -hmm. having our own spaces and also sharing spaces with white folk in these spiritual spaces, right? And so, I don't know, this just also came to mind because it's something I'm working through as well of like, well, you know, again, absolute truth and also relative truth of like, this healing medicine, marginalized folk, we, we would really like, we've, I need this. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. A hundred percent. Ooh. Okay. Can I share a small anecdote that that brought up? I just want to share because yes, it's, it's absolutely on par. And it, again, it just is like simpatico and namaste. Like I a hundred percent will see you and feel you. I went to a, a thing called goddesses of Gaia retreat. I also don't let me forget. I want to hear about the three way, the three things that you shared. Actually, let's do that first, and then I'll tell my anecdote. What are the three things? Just in case there's somebody in the audience who's like curating one of those spaces, or like spiritual, any white person who's like, I'm going to do this thing. Um, I don't know. I'm curious. What are the three ways that you told this uh, these people how they could include my, more diversity into their programming? Yeah, I said so on their website, which is where you would buy tickets. I said you should include three options. First option is to gift a ticket to a friend. Right. So Mm. I literally told them in their description saying, well, like literally, if you are a white person or a person of upper class and you can afford a ticket to somebody else, buy two tickets or like buy two and we'll give it to somebody else. Right. The second Mm -hmm. thing was sliding scale. Right. So if you are BIPOC and you want to come to this event, you know, having a sliding scale of how much you can afford. Right. Because Mm -hmm. they actually had sponsors. So including that, you know, in your what framework before even hosting the event. And I think the third thing, oh my gosh, it's blank. I'm blanking on it. But I think the third thing was scholarship, something along those lines. But, you know, really the emphasis was that this should have been something you were thinking about before hosting this. Like this should have been, you know, pitched to your sponsors. To me, it's obvious, but, you know, to other people, it's not. And I think for me, just being in the space, like, that has to be okay with me. <laughs> so, yeah. That's really good. That's really good. It's great that you were also like equipped, ready. You're like, <laughs> this is not okay. And here's the solution. Like, badass Olivia Pope energy all the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I have some feedback for you. Are you ready? <laughs> Here it goes. Get your pin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm here for it 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Like those are great tips. Yeah, very those are great. really useful. And I think unfortunately, people are in their own worlds far too often, especially white people who are so used to being in spaces where they aren't necessarily the only person who looks like them. And mm. that's really important, Janelle. I want to hear your story as well. I'll make it super quick. I several years ago went to this thing called the Goddesses of Gaia retreat. I had met these women at a ecstatic dance event and they told me about this experience and I was like, "Oh, that sounds amazing. A bunch of women in nature. We went to the Los Angeles, uh, the Angeles Forest and camped out for 3 days 
And on the last day or the day before the last day, we were supposed to do like a ceremonial mushroom trip. And I wasn't the only woman of color. There was another Asian American woman there, but I was the only black woman. And I remember it was my first time taking shrooms <laughs> and, you know, it was beautiful. There was a beautiful ceremony that happened before and a lot of like ceremonial drumming. And I went to the ceremony facilitator and she gave me the amount that, I, that she felt that I should have. And I had them. And I remember before I really fully settled into the trip, having this like immense amount of sadness, a wave of sadness over me because I realized that we were, I mean, living our hippie love, like, like free spirit lives. We were frolicking naked in the woods, like in, like in, it was amazing. And I just remember feeling, man, I, there are so many people in my community who don't even know that this exists, you know, that don't even realize that like, you could be out frolicking naked in the woods if you want to, you know, or be around people and taking plant medicine and like learning about, you know, our sacred womb and all of these things. And it just was so, I was just so sad. And I remember speaking to a friend of mine that I had made there, another white woman, and she saw that I was, I like started crying. At this point, I'm pretty sure I was starting to fill shrooms, but I started crying and she was like, you know, what's going on? And I told her what I was feeling. I was very open and vulnerable. And I remember her saying, oh, honey, that's not yours to carry. Like, you don't have to hold on to that. Like, I understand, but like, you don't have to hold on to that. And granted, I understood what she, what she was saying, where she was coming from, sure. But I just remember not feeling so not seen in that moment. Yeah. And you don't understand at all, which like, how could I expect her to understand? You know, like that's not her experience. So I don't blame her or hold her, or, you know, or I'm angry for her for that. But it was, it was one of those, you know, moments where I realized I have to be in my communities having these experiences like that is my that is a safe thing for me because after that I, hope, I had a horrible trip <laughs> I did learn a lot but it but it was an awful awful trip and it kind of scarred me from shroom you know mushroom medicine for a little while and still to this day honestly a little bit but yeah I just it, it that brought that to mind for me because I could imagine you know a a lot of women of color, a lot of people of color have had those experiences, especially when, you know, you're making a concerted effort to really live a spiritual life and and explore spirituality because a lot of those spaces are dominated by white people and white women in particular. And so it's just so interesting to hear that universally, that that is, we do share that experience. And yeah, and that, you know, there are ways to learn and help you know, white people be in community with people of color, as well as it's okay for us to move into our own spaces where we feel safe and comfortable and held by the people who see us and understand us, you know? Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for letting me share that story too. <laughs> that sounds really awful. I I feel for you, Janelle. I, you know, yeah. I learned a lot through that experience. It was like, I would, I would do it all over again. Honestly, it was, yeah. you know, even for what it was, but yeah, but it was, it was a wake up call for me. Definitely. Absolutely. Janelle also, thank you so, so much for mm-hmm. sharing that. You know, you sharing that is, it made me sad. I know you said that it doesn't bother you anymore, but it made me sad too, because to what you said, it just comes, you know, what comes to mind is I wonder how many other times, multiple times that this has happened to women of color. And we only really learn through conversations that these things are happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for sharing that because as I was listening to you, sadness came up and also like sacred rage, which is mm-hmm. really good, right? Because these, this is how change is activated, I guess. That's what I believe. So thank you so, so much for sharing that. I'm kind of curious how 
the leader of that organization like received your feedback, Kim? So when I spoke to her, I was really angry. Like, I just want to say I was when I told her the three things I was screaming, actually, I was like, yeah, I think you were being like, I wasn't Janelle, like, for you know, the way you said your story, like, it just seems so like, calm and like loving energy throughout the whole thing when I talked to her I was like yeah I think I I, by the way just want to say this too to include a little antidote I exposed them on my Instagram stories I tagged them and I said this is run by two white women and if you're a person of color avoid this establishment as much as possible like I was Hmm. at that energy like cancel culture energy yeah this was only in June And so when I spoke to her, she was already aware that I was doing that because throughout the entire festival, I would, I would out them. And so Mm. she put her hand, I remember on my shoulder and she was like, you know, we're really trying our best, but thank you so much for the feedback. Like we really want to listen to, you know, she said that the lead of marketing is actually like a person of color. So she was like giving me that 411 and she says, we're really trying to be more inclusive. She was really nice about it. In my head, though, I was like, were you? I was like, really? And also in my head, I was also like, it's just the energy of like, we have a person of color on the marketing team equals like I have an Asian friend. So don't worry about it, you know? Yeah, Yeah, like tokenizing. It was that energy. But also like, I will, you know, say that I came into that space like so angry and screaming and people were looking at me throughout the entire festival. My partner is white. And so when I realized during the festival that there were so few Asian Americans, I was screaming in the tent and I was so close to taking us home. So I was causing that scene. And, you know, on social media, just I felt like it was very like righteous rage. But in the back Mm -hmm. end, I was like crying and heaving. Which is also righteous. Uh, yeah, no, that 100%. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yes, well. yeah. We need to be okay with everybody's anger, mm-hmm. especially women and especially women of color of any kind. I feel like we need to make space for that anger and rage and like be able to sit with it and hold it and w- be there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love I love the the term sacred rage. I think I I yeah. I exchange it um or we'll say like righteous anger. Um, but mm. sacred rage feels even more like justified. <laughs> it's, it's even more like yes, like this is it's 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 more welcoming because mm. you should like people are angry and like women of color, people of color are angry and they should be. Why wouldn't they be? You know, and there is absolutely a sacredness to that. You know that we mm. have to hold and also like harness right. I'm I'm curious, like, what are the practices you use? Like, I hear you, like, you're, you are fiery and like, you're ready to fucking throw down. Like, you like, you would be the girl I would have in my corner, <laughs> you know, like, if you throw down, I'm calling Kim, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. <laughs> Easy, done. Um, and I'm curious though, you know, when, when you have moments where you're able to kind of take a step back and be like, okay, what's the best way to actually approach this situation? How do you harness your sacred rage in order to effectively make change or make an impact with the people that you're engaging with? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for this question because it reminded me. So I was going to an Ayurvedic practitioner for a couple of months and she noticed the fiery energy, even though I'm literally an all water sign. So (laughs) she was 
It was just like, where is this fire coming from? Yeah, I'm a Pisces She's like, moon. do you have Aries placements? <laughs> I, I don't think so, but I have to check. Yeah, I'm like a Pisces all around. So she was like, yeah, you need to harness this rage. And so she gave me two tips. And then I added a couple more, which was she said, putting time on my calendar once a month to be angry. And she said, actually sitting by your altar and like, you know, inviting all of the elements and then literally speaking about what is it that makes you so angry. And it's so interesting because like when we get angry, I usually just feel it, but giving myself that time and space and that intention, right, was really important. And then a second thing was breathing. I think it's something that I have underestimated for so long. And so whenever we're angry, tense, stressed, we actually hold our breath and we don't even realize it. And so whenever we're able to take those deep belly breaths, we're acting from that parasympathetic. So I had to learn that as well. And then another thing that has been introduced to me is primal screaming, giving yourself like the time and space to literally scream. And I think, you know, people get so weird about it because they say, well, this is so unnatural. And, you know, to that, I say, isn't it so interesting how we've been conditioned to not do that? Like, um, you know, whenever people are talking to themselves on the street, we look at them and we judge them. But it's like, Mm. we're, we should be able to just do this in public. Mm. So those are the three tools that has helped me a lot. (laughs) That's really good. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah, the scheduling time in, I just got covered in chills when you said that because it's like creating space to allow all of those feelings that a lot of people spend so much energy stuffing away, shutting away because of various reasons that you have to, whether that's, you know, how you appear in the world and are marginalized or if you're a woman who is feeling like their rights have been taken away mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, reproductive rights recently. I think that points back to what I also love about your sacred rage is that it, for me, it imbues this element of like lineage, mm. like this idea of, yes, of course, that's going to be passed down from your ancestors. Of course, that's going to be in your DNA. And that like we have to process that. And that's part of our responsibility too, as descendants of our lineages to figure out how to process it in community. Mm -hmm. Wow, I love that. Beautifully said. Well, this was such a treat, Kim. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Truly. Where can people find your work? What's the best way to connect with you right now? Mm, yes. So you can connect with me on Instagram at Kim Syra and then TikTok, which I'm learning how to do, but I'm on there. Oh, you'll have that down in no time. Yeah, easy, <laughs> easy. It's Kim Syra with two S's. So K-I-M-S-S-A-I-R-A. The original name was taken. So <laughs> oh, watch out. <laughs> Amazing. We will link all of that. And you also do have a membership community? I have Authentically You 2.0, which opens up. It's 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 geared towards Asian American women and femmes. And so it's pretty much a 12-week container where we tap into inner child, somatic release, and also community, right? As a way to just activate, you know, seeds of like expansion and 
all of that. And so, yeah, the cohort starts in November, but it's going to be an, I think it's going to be something I'm going to do for a long time. This is your sacred work. Mm-hmm. Thank you so, so much. The Twelfth House is produced by yours truly, Wallace Miller Blanchard. Our theme music is made by Nathan McKay, and our wonderful editing is done by Softer Sound Studios, who you can find more information about in our show notes.